know you this. Barren blood shall return, and when I do, there shall be no mercy shown. None. All shall die from my vampiric bite. Yes, when I return, Fallsworth Manor will echo with the cries of the newly undead. Barren blood. And yes, I'm sticking with that voice. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. And I'm Professor C. Much like the starting zone of many video Mac, games. hold it together. You can do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Much like the starting zone of many video games, we have to listen to annoying voices come out of many different characters. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <clears throat> the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky <laughs> subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of the class your Pokemon starter, what you're here to learn about, and your name. I wasn't ready for that. Uh, my name is uh, Mac. I'm here to learn about magic in the Marvel Universe, and it depends on what gen. Uh, my favorite starter is usually grass types. Chesnot is my favorite grass type. Close enough. That works. Well, with that in mind, Professor Z, what's our lesson today? Barren blood and Nazi vampires. How actually, really, that? only Nazi... There's only actually one Nazi in this, but... Um, That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, uh, barren blood and related characters. Let's actually just put it that way. All right. First of all, one, I hope... Uh, it's weird to say barren blood is, like, my favorite vampire character, because, again... Nazi he vampire. a Nazi, but he's also like my favorite vampire story is a barren blood story, at least in Marvel. So like, there's what it is. Um, I was so stressed out prepping for this one because I had this thing of like, oh my God, there's so much to do. Forgetting that barren blood is from a very somewhat strange series called The Invaders that first came out in the 1970s. The Invaders is the World War II era Avengers, essentially. It used a bunch of Golden Age World War II characters. Captain America, the robot Human Torch, Namor the Submariner being the main ones. Spitfire, who we'll talk about, Union Jack, who we will briefly discuss, telling superhero stories against the Nazis. But it didn't exist until the 70s, so it does lead to some weird retcons and characters who I'm like, oh yeah, they've been around forever. And I mean, they have now, that was 50 years ago, but like significantly younger than we somewhat give them credit for. Oh, uh, how did I put this to you, though, when um, we were talking about this at work the other day? There have been like five barren bloods and only one of them is interesting. Yeah, something like that. That's a stretch, also, but... Yes, no, it was unfair. There's two of them that are interesting. Still a stretch, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going the other way. You. <laughs> um, I will say there is something about Baron Blood's absolutely ridiculous purple bat costume that I just adore. Because they're like, all right, Batman's got the little things for the bad ears. Baron Blood, just full-on, like... <laughs> Bat-sized, but on a human head. Mm -hmm. 
bat ears. He can barely walk through doors without, like, smacking both sides. Now, the biggest opponent of Baron Blood is either Captain America or uh, Union Jack. Mm-hmm. It tends to be Captain America stories, but Union Jack is a is the much more direct thing. <laughs> Union Jack shows up and like, who are you punching in the face? Baron Blood? I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Union Jack called, well, Baron Blood is back, okay, um, is the kind of setup we have going on here. We're not going to discuss Union Jack too much, because most of his stories either can tie directly to Baron Blood or have nothing to do with mystic stuff. A little bit of Captain Britain stuff, but like for him, mm-hmm. he's not a mystic character himself. He is, however, a trained vampire hunter, just cause. Like, it's just like a hobby, though. You spend this much time with Baron Blood coming after you, you're going to start carrying silver knives. The thing I do love about Baron Blood is it's been argued that he is the reason why Captain America wears uh, scale mail around his neck. Because he doesn't want to be bit by vampires. And we don't talk about that because it's a wild sentence. But it might be my favorite Captain America fact. Oh, my goodness. So, the original Baron Blood was Lord John Falsworth. Ugh. Yes. He might be the worst person in all of these, but he is not the most pathetic character of all of these, which is why why I put him as the interesting one. Falsworth is the youngest of two sons of Lord William Falsworth and one of the wealthiest members of the British aristocracy in uh, late Victorian and Edwardian times. So pre-World War I, end of the 19th, early 20th century. John is your typical useless younger brother in uh, British aristocracy. The idea of you have the heir and the spare. Mm -hmm. In case your main one dies, because infant mortality rates were terrible back then. Yeah. Uh... You have to have a second one, but when the first one survives, you go, I guess you become a priest or something. join the military? Like, those were the two options. Or you hang out and eat all your brother's food and kind of make everyone angry. Also an option. Mm-hmm. Fallsworth, however, decides to instead go to uh, Romania and track down Dracula instead of the other three options. Once again, proving that Dracula literally gets saved from, like, permanent death Every 45 seconds. It, there's just a line. Yes. <laughs> like, Do you want to unstake Dracula? <laughs> Stay here. <laughs> Must be this tall to unstake Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Quincy Harker is hanging out on the queue. You must be taller than Quincy. Give him the stake back when you're done. We recycle around. <laughs> uh, he had hopes of controlling Dracula for, you know, your various wealth, power, yada, yada, yada. How he hoped to control Dracula is somewhat unclear. He didn't think that far ahead. No one seems to. We saw it with the guy in the Tomb of Dracula book we read. People are like, step one, resurrect Dracula. Step two, I mean, not to, get too, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we see almost the exact same thing happen with Varney, too. So, With everybody. Yes. Anyone whose plan is vampire has not thought it through. If I just wake up this really old vampire, <laughs> things are going to go good for me, right? <laughs> right? Yes. Instructions unclear. Turned into a vampire. <laughs> Anyways, he, instead of getting the immense wealth and power, immediately falls victim to Dracula's hypnotic powers and is turned into a vampire. 
Dracula sends Fallsworth back to England, which is something I always somehow forget. I keep wanting to give him a German accent because he worked for the Nazis later. Mm -hmm. But he is British aristocracy. He just sucks. Like a lot of British aristocracy, in fairness. Uh, Dracula sends him back to England to wreak havoc upon the country that had gotten rid of him earlier. Basically, Baron Blood was his revenge plan, one of his revenge plans, for failing to take over England in the original Dracula story, as well as the pissily worded letter that we talked about in the Dracula episode. He had two plans. That's two more than he usually has. However, during World War I, Fallsworth... Obsessed with destroying England, both for Dracula and just for himself, because he's decided at this point that England has betrayed him. Both for Dracula and for funsies. <laughs> yeah, right? He's got nothing going on. He's the spare. Sure, he could live a life of friggin' luxury, but he, he deserves to be the Lord. Anyways, he offers his services to German intelligence, who give him the codename Baron Blood. Fallsworth then adopts the costume to instill terror, and he becomes Germany's greatest secret weapons in the final months of the war. He battles the super team Freedoms 5, a group of costume agents working for Great Britain and her allies. Uh, however, he ne neither one successfully ever defeats each other. During this time, he develops a lifelong uh, battle with Union Jack, not realizing that Union Jack is his brother. Nor does Union Jack realize that the same. They're just like, oh, where's my piece of crap brother? Oh, better go kill this vampire. Oh, my piece of crap brother's back again. However, towards the end of the war, Union Jack injures Fallsworth with a silver blade, making him flee England. Uh, after World War I, Fallsworth begins studying the occult and follows Hitler's rise to power. He understands Hitler and his Nazi, pa and his Nazi party as being similar to himself, as in, they're both great big jerks. To massively understate it. <laughs> they jerks. Uh, not much is known about Fallsworth's activities between World War I and World War II, but at some point he shows up again and was like, hey, I was almost useful in World War I. Let me join the Nazis. <laughs> and, <laughs> and really, honestly, in real life and out of it, almost useful in World War I was a really good way to get a position in the Nazi party. I give you Hitler as example A, B, and C. Right. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. German scientists perform painful experiments, which enable him to avoid his vulnerability to direct sunlight. He's still weakened by it, but he's no longer immediately killed. Then German intelligence sends him to England again to continue a new reign of terror. Fallsworth returns to the Fallsworth mansion, posing as his own son to hide his identity. He's eventually confronted by his brother, who thinks that he's his nephew? Yes. Yes. Who came out of retirement as Union Jack after Fallsworth bit and nearly killed his daughter, Jacqueline. Later, the hero Spitfire, who we will discuss later on in this episode. Union Jack, aided by the allied heroes known as the Invaders, discover Bloodseeker identity, and in the ensuing battle, Fallsworth is impaled when he falls on a stalagmite that had traces of silver in it. This is how rich they are. Also, I'm not sure why there's a big <laughs> mysterious... How convenient their cave is. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure why there's a big mysterious Zorro secret lair style cave underneath Fallsworth Manor. Because they bought it. But there is. <laughs> With the silver, it is somehow, like, 
half the Zorro cave and half uh, the Lone, Lone Ranger, Ranger Silver's mine. Yes, we have to help sprinkle silver across, <laughs> across the caves every day. It has a good atmosphere. <laughs> it twinkles. However, like pretty much every vampire in the Marvel Universe, Fallsworth is shortly later resurrected by various Axis agents, and he joins the team, the Super Axis. Which is various Nazis. Nazis with superpowers. Like, honestly, they all blend together. I know Nazi Man and Master Man are from different series or different (laughs) companies, but they're functionally the same annoying person. (laughs) Captain Nazi, not Nazi Man. What's the difference? It is slightly better name, but like, you know, it's like a D minus instead of an F. (laughs) (laughs) Nazi man. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I am Nazi man. (laughs) I think there was an overman, but. uh, I think you're right. (laughs) Oh, that's a Superman that became a Nazi. That's not important to this. It alternate universe thing. It happens. (laughs) Okay. In 90, uh, I almost said 95. No, in 1945. Big difference. Yes. uh, Fallsworth defects from the Axis and journeys to the United States along with Dracula, enlisting in the Weapon Plus program to find a way of ridding vampires of their weaknesses. (laughs) Weapon Plus, which will eventually create Wolverine in the Weapon 10 era of the Weapon Plus program, commandeers the Ravencroft Institute, which is basically Spider-Man's Arkham, and performs gruesome experiments on the patients that turn many of them into vampiric abominations called the Unwanted. Weapon Plus's experiments are terminated when Captain America and Bucky attack the Institute, but both Dracula and Baron Blood escape. After the fall of the Reich, Fallsworth escapes alongside a villain named Brain Drain. In the South China Sea, they're attacked by a group... Oh god, really? Brain Drain? Yes. That's hilarious. Is there a what is there a reference? So I'm brain here? drain would be a reference to uh, there. There's various ways that it happens. Some naturally, some induced. Um, but like that's when all of the scientists leave a country that is losing in a war. Oh, so it's straight up just Operation Paperclip. Yes. Where we just stole a bunch of Nazi scientists and went to the moon with them. So that would be like an induced brain drain, but you also have like a little bit of brain drain going on, like, let's say, in Russia right now. Or in China. Yeah. Uh, As a quick side note, brain drain, real name Werner Schmidt, is another random man with a jar for a head with a brain floating in it, but to make him a little different than most brain jar Nazi villains. Does it actually have a drain? And there's a surprising amount of those. No, his eyeballs are still attached to the brain and are just also (laughs) floating. Like, I don't want to say yes because he is still a Nazi, but I like that. I like the eye design better than the no eye design. Yes, that's what I'm going Mm -hmm. with here. (laughs) They never blink. They always watch. (laughs) (laughs) However, this group is attacked by a group known as the Avengers, but it's not the Avengers that we know about. This is a post-World War II Nazi hunting group of Avengers that we will discuss briefly in a later thing that was written for a single series, miniseries, that they have largely tried not to talk about since. Real quick, just because it's a wild choice of characters. 
the 1950s Avengers, the second group of 1950s Avengers that's unconnected to the other 1950s Avengers, which become the agents of Atlas, right, consist of the Blonde Phantom, Ulysses Bloodstone, Dum Dum Dugan, the like second in command of Nick Fury with the bowler hat, Dominic Fortune, who's another random spy, Nick Fury himself, Craven the Hunter. Wait, what? No, it's, no we're not done yet. <laughs> Namora, cousin of Namor. Victor Creed, a.k.a. Sabretooth, and Silver Sable's dad, also known as Silver Sable. They really wanted to find them. And they hunt Nazis. That's the perfect I mean, team. good. The Red Wolverine <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> like, I'm glad they're hunting Nazis, but... This was part of a very strange era where they were trying to fill in bits of history that were kind of blank slates. So they're like, who's alive? But they kept putting bad characters in there. There was like... The first X-Men, and it was an X-Men team before Professor X founds the X-Men, which one, no, full stop, no. Right. I mean, you can get a group of mutants together. Sure, but, but they the were the first X-Men. Magneto was in it, as well as Sabretooth and Wolverine. That feels no. like a continuity snarl. It is one of the most hated X-Men series I've ever heard of. Yeah. And you know so, not because people still complain about it, but because people straight up Don't talk will about not it talk ever. about it. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Anyways, before Baron Blood can be captured by the Avengers, they're uh, rescued and offered positions in Icon, which was a, a Nazi supervillain version of Operation Par Paperclip. Mm. It's, you know, stealing Nazis to help the America, yada, mm -hmm. yada, yada, but with the superpowered ones. Gotcha. During a later battle with this 1950s Avengers team, he's stabbed in the chest by a silver-bladed wooden javelin by Craven the Hunter. Which honestly feels like more work than just making a silver stake. But it might be a price thing. Or just use right. that. Although he's Russian nobility, he's just being cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Probably something he broke off of one of his doors. Though this doesn't kill him, he's seemingly later destroyed by a woman via a wooden stake. So obviously you just don't need... The silver part, so maybe he's just being overly fancy, judging Craven, uh, and is entombed in the Tower of London. Oh, that, okay. that's a choice. In recent years, this is one of the things, the Baron Blood stories have gotten increasingly more complicated to use the farther away we've gotten from World War II. When the book that we read took place in 1980, it would still functionally work. Right, but now... But now it's got to be like the great great grandson of a character or something, or just like, just don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Just don't worry about it. Somebody played with time again. Don't worry about it. Yep. <laughs> Which is a major thing you have to do in Marvel Comics. Uh, in recent years, Fallsworth is resurrected by a mortal agent of Dracula known as Dr. Charles Cromwell. Then Cromwell immediately falls under Fallsworth influence, who learns all he can of medical practices from Cromwell. Vampiric activity around a nearby village erases suspicion, but blood tr is uh, but blood tricks the villagers into killing Cromwell and his daughter as the vampires. It says here other things later say that blood killed those two. I don't think we ever actually see this. Mm. Either way, he turns the youngest daughter into, of Cromwell into a vampire, and she will appear later on as Baroness Blood, and he begins assuming the identity of Dr. Cromwell himself. 
The police believe this is a serial killer, but Fallsworth brother, the now just absolutely ancient World War I survivor, the original Union Jack, summons Captain America to investigate the suspicions that blood is back. The blood is back is such a 90s comics. Like, <laughs> I know it's not, but like that would... Mm -hmm. I think it actually was a tagline for Young Blood at one point. Blood is bad. <laughs> Fallsworth attacks his brother, posing as Cromwell, the brother, his brother's physician, but he's defeated by Captain America. Fallsworth's body is decapitated and burned separately, and his ashes are scattered to different areas to ensure that Fallsworth could never be revived again. After burying his brother, Lord Fallsworth decides to stop fighting and dies. Now, this massively understates how hardcore this story is, because among other things, a new Union Jack appears with an angry young art student, which just so on brand mm -hmm. in the like post-British invasion rock scene of the late 70s, early 80s. And also, Captain America decapitates a man with his shield. Yes. It's brutal. <laughs> yes, it's barren blood, but it's still hardcore. It's amazing. <laughs> Cap even has to take that second like... Oh, God, oh, okay. I really have to do this, don't I? <laughs> I know that this is the only way. Technically, he's dead already. <laughs> this, is fine, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. <gasps> I did that. <laughs> uh, when the Montesai formula is cast by Doctor Strange, even Blood's ashes vanish. However, the Montesai formula will be broken, and he will return, er, and vampires will begin to return. Oops. Now, in another thing that we will discuss in a little bit, it claims that Baron Blood will come back sometime in the mid-90s comics era, but I couldn't actually find anything on that, so I, I can't say for sure. So the next time we see Baron Blood is going to be during the all-new Captain America era that took place within the last 10 years, with Sam Wilson as Cap, the Falcon as Cap. Mm -hmm. So after the Terrigan mists hit Earth, which creates a bunch of new Inhumans, have you have we ever discussed the Inhumans here? I don't know if you know what they are. No. Okay, in the cosmic season they'll get their own thing. It's not super important, but the Inhumans are a race of people that live on the moon. Okay, that were taken by the Kree, blue aliens, okay. of which Captain Marvel is connected. Millions of years ago, millions, I think. Hundreds yeah. of things. A long time a ago. A long, long time ago. I wonder how they felt about the vampires using the moon as a staging ground then. <laughs> Probably. I don't think they were on the moon at the time. I think they had taken over the Korean Empire around that era. That's right. But the Inhumans are very busy. Sure. Um, Black Bolt is their main member, and they have the teleporting dog Lockjaw. Those are the only two Inhumans that anyone cares about, and I will die on that hill. Medusa's fine. Medusa's fine. But, yeah, like, Lockjaw is what really matters. Lockjaw. And then Black Bolt's cool, too. I guess Miss Marvel is an inhuman, but in the cart in the show, they're turning her to a mutant, and that's so much better. The best um, part of Black Bolt is his full name. Blackagar Boltagon. That sounds amazing. Now, the important part of this, the Inhumans are powered by the Terrigan Mists. They go into the Mists, it gives them powers. Okay. The reason they're coming up here, and we're doing more out-of-universe stuff than we usually do, but... It's kind of hard to explain. This is before Disney had bought Fox, which meant all of the movie rights for the X-Men were owned by somebody else other right. than Disney. The owner of Marvel is a man named Ike Perlmutter. I do not like Ike Perlmutter. Very few people do. Honestly, he sounds like a bad man. <laughs> yeah. He threw a hissy fit 
that they were basically, in his mind, advertising for Fox movies that they weren't making any money off of because Fox had the movie rights while they had the comic book rights. So he single-handedly spent the better part of 10 years sabotaging the Marvel X-Men line, the best-selling line that Marvel has had consistently since the mid-70s. And he decided, because he they wanted to use characters that were appearing in the movies, so he decided... It's fine. We'll just replace mutants with Inhumans. And they came up with this storyline where the Terrigan Mists are released across the world. And various people are getting powered up by in, in becoming Inhumans. Yeah, so, yeah. The Mists are... If you're an Inhuman, the Mists always give you powers, right? And if you're a normal human, they sometimes do. Or if you have Latin in human genes or something. Mm -hmm. It was not well explained because usually they're the weird superpowered secret civilization that either lives in the Himalayas or the moon that Johnny Storm keeps making out with. Mm -hmm. Multiple members. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. But then to mutants. Kills them. Kills them. Is this the, that. That event we talked about when they were on their island, the mist went across the planet and started killing all the mutants. Yes. Same event. I don't remember where we started talking about that, but yeah. Oh, with magic. Yes. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, 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 yes. Uh, and then it turns out that the Inhumans just didn't know that it poisoned mutants, and X-Men versus Inhumans was the worst crossover event I have ever attempted to read in my life. I mean, we also read the one with uh, <laughs> the weird world with all the ghost. He's racing in a death track. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. That was wonderful. I loved Death Racers. Need more Death Racers now. Any, that was our entire view of that. Anyways, uh, Baron Zemo reassembles Hydra to attempt to recruit new Inhumans to his cause, thinking, whatever, they're probably pissed off about the world. I'll make them Nazis. One of these is a young man named Lucas who has a toxin in his blood that is capable of sterilizing human beings. I guess his inhuman power. I don't know if this is in his inhuman power or a side effect of his inhuman power, but is his inhuman power is sterility blood. Some people. How do you even find that out? (laughs) (laughs) Baby, I swear I'm shooting blanks. (laughs) Jesus. Now, Zemo sees this as an opportunity to seize control of the world and he plans to infect every human on Earth with Lucas's sterilization blood, while all Hydra agents in the world wouldn't be affected as uh, they had already received a cure. As a contingency plan to spread Lucas's blood worldwide should everything go wrong, Zemo recruits Baron Blood by resurrecting him and recruits him to Hydra, saying he'll give him domain after the leveling. The contingency plan was for Blood to suck enough blood off Lucas and then detonate himself in the atmosphere, releasing the infection upon the world. That's so metal. <laughs> One, yes. <laughs> Two, I am just going to just want you to su- dude. I just want you to suicide bomb yourself into a blood mist. Also, I promise I'll bring you back again. <laughs> Three, how thinly dispersed is this blood that is, I mean, like, it's... I get that it's going to go a long way if you put it up, like, high enough, but, like, I can see, like... like, a dude's worth of blood, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I could see, like, maybe Montana. (laughs) Like... You'd have to see... The state of... Or the city of Manhattan. (laughs) Instead of... And four, 
I don't know if I'm from four or five, but four or five, what does Lucas think about all of this? <laughs> or was he just kidnapped? Instead of just making more of his blood and misting it, he's like, no, I'm going to summon a vampire. <laughs> Unfortunately, although not uncommon for anyone who's planned as vampire, this story's about to get worse. Perfect plan. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this plan, there's there's so many things wrong with this plan, but it's so perfect. Yes. <laughs> Only a mad magnet. It is the this. most pure comic book. It, it's, I can't remember which writer would have done this. Detonate um, yourself at the end the of this video. Ben Edlund. Jesus. Uh, anyways, Sam Wilson, along with Nomad, who is no, I'm not getting into Nomad. It's too complicated. Uh, and Misty Knight are able to thwart Hydra's plans. So Zemo orders the blood explosion contingency plan to go. Blood is followed by Red Wing, uh, Falcon's Falcon that he has an unexplained psychic connection to. Literally. No one knows why Falcon has this psychic connection with Red Wing the Falcon. Yeah. They just made it a drone in the movies because they did not want. At one point, he was a mutant with the mutant power to connect to this one specific Falcon. Other times, it was the Cosmic Cube. Like, I'll buy Cosmic Cube. Yeah. Cosmic Cube messed with Sam a lot. Like, the poor dude. (laughs) <laughs> the most specific <laughs> power right. is I mean, we wild. Did, this same storyline does have the inhuman power of mutant steriliz- or of blood sterilization, so I guess. Anyways, uh, Baron Blood bites and murders Red Wing. Oops. Uh, and then flies into Earth orbit, ready to detonate, but is again attacked by Cap, who's pretty angry about all of this. Enraged, Blood spits Lucas's blood into Sam's mouth, infecting him with a sterilizing toxin. Real pissed that he's now sterile and can never have a family, Sam attacks Blood and knocks the vampire out. He then takes the bombs on his body and leaves him floating in space to be recovered by S.H.I.E.L.D. What a mind screw that's gotta be. You'd like have this toxic blood spewed into you and you're like, oh God, we're, I need something. He, he's poisoned me. I'm going to die. He's like, no, actually, you're not going to die. You're probably going to keep fighting full strength. In fact, you can punch me in the face right now. I'm probably going to get knocked out, but you're now sterile. <laughs> no babies. You get no kids. <laughs> now, I should say one I actually really enjoy Sam Wilson as Captain America. Falcap is great. Mm-hmm. That said, both solo series he had during his initial Falcap run, uh, one is by Nick Spencer, who's a pretty good writer, and the other is by the guy who did Uncanny Event, uh, Rick Remender. Oh, yep. Who I don't care for, but is a very talented writer. I hate both of those series. They might be the worst writing by both of those pretty talented writers. In my opinion, if you like him, more power mm-hmm. to you. I just, this sums up kind of just how dumb it got in a lot of cases. This is going to bring us to the Baroness Blood. The Baroness Blood is the younger daughter of Jacob Cromwell, the secret doll of Dracula who uh, revived John Falsworth, yada, yada, yada. After the apparent death of Baron Blood, when Cap just knocks his friggin' head off, Mrs. Cromwell, Ms. Cromwell, founds a cult dedicated to Blood's memory as the Baroness. At some point, she meets Axie Nacht, who offers her membership in the Axis Mundi if she'd make a suitable sacrifice to prove her loyalty. Axis Mundi being yet another forgettable team of Nazi supervillains, but ones that continued after World War II. 
Figuring out how to do this sacrifice, the Baroness learns that the Holy Grail could render a vampire immune to sunlight. The Baroness has her cult search for it. Also, she's attempting... Why, why does the Holy Grail have... You know what? I know that there's not an answer. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I just... That's a wild side effect for the Holy Grail How did someone experiment and find that out is my other question. Shouldn't they die from drinking from the Holy Grail since it's holy and it should sanctify the water? That should be holy water they're drinking. It should melt them from the I inside I mean, out. considering that the same comic where this happens involves a giant cross falling on a <laughs> vampire and it kills him. Um, I probably. love that. Oh, yeah. No, this series is great. Uh, this is the 90s Union Jack series by Ben mm. Rabb and John Cassidy. John Cassidy being one of the greatest comic book artists of the 21st century, but he can't maintain a schedule to save his life, so we don't see a lot of work out of him. Uh, he wrote Planetary by Warren Ellis, or oh, uh, Drew okay. Planetary, if you ever read that. Okay. Love it. As I was reading it today, I was like, this should have been our assigned reading. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, anyways, she targets Blood's great nephew, Kenneth, uh, the, the friend of Joey, the current Union Jack, and the person who theoretically should have taken the Union Jack identity, but decided that maybe being a superhero vampire hunter wasn't for him, which, fair, uh, she targets Kenneth, who is dying of anemia. She seduces Kenneth and turns him into a vampire and dubs him the new Baron Blood before sending him to steal the Grail. She then takes him, the Grail, and all of the vampire minions to Glastonbury Abbey, where she performs the necessary ceremony, making her immune to sunlight. However, she fails to tell all of the other vampires in her cult that she wasn't actually planning to have them drink from the Holy Grail, and as the sun rises, they all explode. Which is her sacrifice to join Axis Mundi. Which is a later retcon. In the original one, she's just a jerk. Mm -hmm. But it works. That's a good sacrifice. Uh, she then flees to Arizona, happy to be able to live in the sun again, uh, where it's revealed that she's pregnant with Kenneth's, ki Kenneth's kid. And voted for Lake. Probably yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like all the other vampires in Arizona. <laughs> oh, God. oh God! How did you know? <laughs> Having earned her membership in the Axis Mundi with the sacrifice, the Baroness and her son, who she names John, who is a born vampire and also immune to sunlight because his mama drank from the Grail while he she was pregnant with him. Getting Twilight vibes from this. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they go off and join Axis Moody, blah, blah, blah. The undead infant inherits his father's blood condition, the anemia, but could only feed off his own bloodline, apart from his mother. So the only other potential food source was Kenneth's mother, his grandmother, Jacqueline Fallsworth Crichton, a.k.a. Spitfire. Alongside Axis Moody, Baroness Blood attacks the a new grouping of the invaders, targeting Spitfire. Cromwell hypnotizes her and was about to feed when Axis Mundi's teleportation system is triggered, taking the villains elsewhere. Returning to Britain, Baroness Blood sent some of her new vampire followers to attack the Destroyer, um, a, another World War II-era British hero who is connected to Union Jack and wears a skull mask. Not the... Not the Destroyer not armor. Not Guardian Destroyer No, that'd be a wildly different thing. No, this is a dude with a gun and a okay. skull mask. <laughs> who's gay. Who's not important to that. I just like that they let this, like, 
World War II, Stan Lee's first ever Marvel comic creation, like back in World War II, mm. be a gay hero. Stan Lee didn't do that. I doubt he remembered the Destroyer existed. Stanley's memory was legendarily bad. Anyways, as predicted, Aubrey, the Destroyer, calls the invaders and Spitfires among those who come to investigate. The Baroness uses hypnotism to take Spitfire captive and then informs her that she'd be used as food for John. However, Spitfire breaks free, even as the other invaders enter the caves, slaughtering the other vampires. With her plans thwarted, Cromwell teleports away with John. John has not been mentioned since... Uh, however, Baroness Blood, who no longer wears the stupid Baroness Baron mask, will reappear in the most recent Jason Aaron run as a follower of Dracula. This brings us to possibly our shortest one, the aforementioned Kenneth Crichton. Kenneth is the son of Spitfire and the grandson of the original Union Jack. His uncle had also been Union Jack during World War II after the original Union Jack's legs were destroyed in his final battle with, uh, with Baron Blood. Mm-hmm. However, his uncle dies in a car crash in 1953. Remember, Union Jacks do not have super soldier serum. They just wear a flag on their face and carry around a World War I pistol and a silver dagger. And a cool motorcycle. God, I really love Union Jack, if we're being honest here. He's pretty cool. <laughs> Chapman is, uh, in theory, destined to become the new Union Jack, but refuses because he realizes that he is a Ponzi-rich art student as opposed to a hero. So he recruits his friend Joey Chapman, who is a also a Ponzi art student, but a, like, son-of-a-poor-dock-worker tough guy to be the new Union Jack instead. However, he immediately becomes a giant about it because he's uh, his anemia comes about and he begins suffering and slowly dying and becomes jealous that he views that Joey stole his like birthright and family connection Mm. that he gave to him. Right. I'm just, I really don't like Kenneth and I need to make sure this is understood. Uh, He also gets extremely ill tempered about the fact that his mother Spitfire gets her youth back later on and now appears younger than him in various kinds and decides rather than be a doddering old woman to enjoy being the age varies. But yeah, well, she's not even Spitfire at this point. She's just not an old biddy anymore. That looks like Spitfire. That looks like Spitfire. So she's gonna just go be a super speedster, super rich British noble woman. Awesome. Anyways, he's seduced by Baroness Blood, who's like, I'll cure your anemia by turning you into a vampire and letting you get revenge on your best friend who's just trying to help you out. And he's like, that sounds great. And then immediately dies. However, in a later story, when Blade is uh, accidentally revives every vampire that's ever been born in a really bad move on Blade's part, but I guess it keeps him job security. Uh Um (laughs) I was just going to lead it back into when Blade's snogging Spitfire. Oh, yeah, that'll come up in a minute. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Kenneth is revived. He joins Dracula in his invade Britain from the moon plan. Which can't possibly go wrong. (laughs) Which, as we read way back when, is actually a very fun story, but just Dracula levels of extra. (laughs) He's like, all right, I have a plan beyond vampire. Vampires on the moon. Close enough. (laughs) Space vampires. 
where he attempts to recruit his mother, who he, I guess, no longer has a grudge against, to help out. She pretends to join, but turns out to be a double agent, and six Union Jack and Blade on her son, and Blade murders him. While Joey's like, hey, Ken, I can help you. And he's like, oh, maybe I should be helped. Maybe because this is going really badly, I could be, nope, Blade stabbed me dead now, bye. And that's the end of Kenneth Crichton. I realize that saying this right now, I might end up having to cut this out. I'm at least going to have to bleep a couple things. <laughs> with, with the, uh, <laughs> just thinking about all this, like, and just in general, the amount of s- stupid soap opera-ness that happens in comics. Like, how how often do you think these various heroes and villains are making f- your mom jokes to each other? <laughs> well... <laughs> all the time. Union Jack will end up in a relationship with Spitfire, so straight up, he did. Yeah. (laughs) This is going to bring us to Spitfire before we drop to our final character, who is completely unrelated to all of this, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. The Lady Jacqueline Fallsworth, the daughter of Lord Montgomery Fallsworth, the original Union Jack, Uh, In early 1942, Jackie is serving in Britain's Women's Voluntary Service when she's attacked by the vampire Baron Blood. The Women's Voluntary Service is basically, we have way more things we need to get done than we have young men in this Mm -hmm. country. Uh, It tended not to be active duty, but it was a whole bunch of uh, nurses, radar, uh, the the dot 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 uh, sending messages thing that I'm blanking the name of. Morse code. Morse code. Yeah, but the, the the way that they sent Morse code, I can't think of what it's called, but... Yeah, that thing. Morse code. Um, <laughs> anyways, during this time, she's attacked by the vampire Baron Blood, in case you didn't know we were talking about that by now, uh, 45 minutes in. Not knowing that Jacqueline... Or, or that not knowing... Not, that's backwards. Baron Blood knew that Jackie was his niece because she wasn't disguised as Union Jack. She didn't know Baron Blood was her uncle. That's what I was trying to say there. Baron Blood is forced to flee by the original Human Torch, who, I don't know if we've discussed him to you at any point in this. Have we discussed human, the original Human Torch? I think in passing once or twice. The Human Torch is a robot who erupts into fire. Or he's an android, not a mm-hmm. robot. He erupts into fire when he touches oxygen. He later gains control of this power... So he can just turn himself into fire, like catch on fire, which allows him to fly and control flames to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, he goes out and he flame on. I love comics. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what about this other human torch later? And like, unrelated. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Not the same. Also, in some versions, he's the original body of the vision. That they took the torch's body, and yeah, it's a whole thing. We're not getting into it. Okay. That makes a lot of questions. Anyways, Human Torch, uh, Jim Hammond by name, takes Jackie home to Fallsworth Manor, where the Torch meets her father, uh, Union Jack. Fallsworth and Jackie befriend the Torch and his fellow members of the Invaders, and Union joins them. I guess Jack joins them? I don't don't know what to call him other than full-on Union Jack every time. Do that. Or UJ? UJ. UJ. BB, again, abducts Jackie, <laughs> but is defeated by UJ. Nope, hate this. And the invader, CA. Um, Baron Blood abducts Jackie and is defeated by Union Jack and the invader, Captain America. 
Suffering from a great loss of blood because she's bitten by the barren blood, Jackie's rushed to a hospital by the invaders. There she receives an emergency blood transfusion from the Human Torch, which raises far more questions than it answers to me, including, how does an android have blood? Blood? <laughs> Shouldn't she burst into flames now? Like, Does she burst into flames now? <laughs> Why not literally any other human being in the world? <laughs> Shouldn't the blood burst into flames on the way through? <laughs> Anyways, it gave her super speed powers. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah, that's what happens when you're injected with and like fire android Flaming blood. android blood. <laughs> She predicts that this... That's basic biology. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> she predicts that the new super speed powers are a result of the combination of android blood or, quote, a foreign element introduced into her bloodstream. No, 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 no. Uh, the vampire enzymes, which are the foreign element introduced into her bloodstream, mixed with the android fireman blood. So I guess vampire plus fireman equals super speed. Now we know. I'll put that that's in. we were never told before, but that's what the chemicals were. Uh, on, on the flash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's better than the original Jay Garrick's superheated water particles. That's just steam. He got hit by steam and it gave him super speed. <laughs> okay. Wow. You have to remember, especially in the 30s when talking about that, comic book creators were paid a dollar a page. They just started creating and went. Whatever kept them going, they would take a bunch of speed and make comics all night. Mm -hmm. Love that era. Anyways, uh, years later, it's implied because someone decided that that was an absolutely insane thing to claim that she's actually a latent mutant with super speed and regenerative powers and introducing absolutely wild things into her blood kickstarts that. That makes more sense. I guess. <laughs> and they're weird. They're weird dream logic. That makes more However, sense. However, I never knew that until we read this. They just roll with android blood plus vampire equals super speed. <laughs> never change comic books. You know, like when you go to first grade science. Somebody's got to recreate that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's we we be want like... an army of spitfires. <laughs> All right. Just start... Where's Grab that Roomba and that vampire over there. Let's do this. Where's the closest mandroid? <laughs> I already got a vampire strung up in my room. Let's do this. Why do you have a vampire in your room? Don't ask. <laughs> Jackie makes herself a costume, which is just a bright yellow jumpsuit with a uh, collar and a pointy red mask. It's not a bad costume, but that's what it is. That's what it is. And takes the name Spitfire, naming herself after the dominant British plane that was happening during World War II, where she becomes a major member of the invaders. At the war's end, however, she retires. In 1956, she marries the British nobleman Lord Crichton, taking on the name Crichton. They subsequently have a son, Kenneth. Desiring a quiet life, Jackie informs people that her superhuman capabilities had faded over time, though in truth, it just became more difficult to use them as she got older. After being widowed, Lady Crichton, as she's now known, moves back to Fallsworth Manor to care for her aging father, who dies a year after her return there. Lady Crichton continues to live in retirement at Fallsworth Manor. Again, the timeline of that 100% no longer works. But we're sticking with it. Later... Jackie assemb helps assemble Namorita, 
who is considered the niece of Namor, but is actually the clone of Namora, Namor's cousin who he makes out with sometimes. They tried to explain why it was okay that his romantic interest was a cousin, and it actually just got more uncomfortable. As it should. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, not involved in any of this. I just... Uh, Jackie assembles Namorita, Captain America, and Union Jack to aid the former invaders, the original Human Torch and the Submariner, who were captured by the latest incarnation of the Nazi villain Masterman. In attempting to rescue their ac- ally, Jackie is badly wounded and survives only thanks to yet another blood transfusion from the Human Torch. Let's do this time. Gives her her speed powers back and gives her the body of a 16-year-old. That part is almost immediately not talked about, and she's kind of aged back up to somewhere in the 20s to 30s range. Yeah. Um, because it's a very unfortunate trope, and it's not unique to comic books. Anime is hella guilty of this, but really anywhere. Super old person given the body of a teenager with a new lease on life, but it's okay. It's, a, it's okay. They're actually 2000. Doesn't matter that they look 12, right? Angel, you're not allowed to make out with Buffy. I don't care if you look like <laughs> David Borney as she's 16, you creep. You've seen every generation of her family grow old and die. <laughs> you should not be kissing this person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically that. Anyways. Uh, she takes over the day-to-day matters of Namor's company, or Oracle Incorporated, as she adjusts. Because for some reason, Namor was leading a multinational corporation for a while there. Why not? He also grew a ponytail and had an earring. That's cool. That's the worst <laughs> part of it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm gonna say it. It works for Namor. I don't dislike long-haired Namor. I'm just here. He still didn't wear pants. Why would you? Namor. (laughs) Years later, she'll join the new invaders, but resigns with most of the other members when Jim Hammond, the Human Torch, dies. During this time, she has a brief relationship with uh, Joey Chapman, the modern Union Jack, but break up due to the large age difference and the fact that they're both, um, that he was best friends with her son. Yeah, kind of awkward. It's weird. Yeah. Honestly, my view is they both were extremely alone and hurting after the death of Kenneth because for some reason they both loved him. Around this time, she begins displaying vampiric qualities, including fangs, and finds that she can control the bloodlust and remains unaffected by traditional vampire weaknesses. So she's kind of what every other vampire wishes they were. When did that? Why? She was bitten by a vampire in 1945. So the enzymes finally decided to like, oh, you're a vampire now. Android blood's a hell of a thing, man. <laughs> okay. I I got nothing. <laughs> to be honest, I had been unaware also until discovering this. Because I've read plenty of comics with Spitfire, but not really like, I've never read the old Invaders stuff. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that the vampire thing was basically new to Captain Britain in the MI-13. When they went... She's been bitten like 16 times now. <laughs> she <laughs> keeps getting bit by vampires. We need to do something. We should probably. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks to Magic Fireman Android Blood, she is basically the ultimate vampire. <laughs> That's a sentence I never thought To science fire robot man blood. Um, because she can go out in the daylight, she's not. She's largely not affected by the bloodlust. She has the urge to drink human blood, but she doesn't. 
it, it's, it's significantly easier to control than any other. It's like when people get the urge to go drink in the middle of the day. Like, I probably shouldn't do that. That's probably a bad idea. <laughs> Anyways, she initially keeps this change secret, not telling anyone even uh, close to her. She joins MI-13, the British superhero division of the government, as part of Britain's response to the Scroll invasion of Earth. In battle with two Super Scrolls, Spitfire rips out their throats with her teeth, finally revealing her new condition. Oh, yeah. Yep. Later, <laughs> after the invasion, when MI-13 recruit the Vampire Hunter Blade... Also, those Super Scrolls were still dope. I still remember that episode. Super cool, yeah, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the Super Scrolls, like, as a thing, but there were some really cool ones in there. However, after the invasion, when uh, Blade is recruited, he meets Spitfire and immediately stabs her in the chest with a stake. <laughs> as you would. Yes. She survives. He looks around like, did, did no one else know this? Were you not like, good with this? Like, what's going her on? Teeth? Like, what's going on? Vampire. You brought me here, right? Blade, <laughs> vampire hunter. You put me in the same room. Like, this is literally my job description. <laughs> I gave you my card. You hired me. You guys picked me up from asylum. Uh, she survives only thanks to the powers of fellow MI-13 member Faiza Hussein, the current wielder of Excalibur, who has the power to basically heal anyone. Is it still wielding if it's stuck inside of her? That's where we left off. With yeah, her. that this is long before she just yeah. gets it stuck inside her and wanders. Also, in fairness, it's stuck inside Black Knight at the time. Yeah. You're and she's right. keeping him alive. Yeah. So, well, I mean. I feel like there's a sex joke then. I mean, I'm not gonna. She's wielding it inside of him. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. All ages podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, after deciding that maybe they shouldn't kill each other, Blade and her enter in a romantic relationship that was kind of cute, honestly. Like, I like it when Blade gets to be a human. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, we kind of stopped seeing that after the Blade movies came out. Yeah. During Dracula's attack on Britain, Jackie's vampire son, Kenneth, who we've already talked to, blah, 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 leads her into a trap. She ends up being a double agent. I've covered this at least once in this episode already, so you've heard that. And we have an episode on it. Kenny dies. It's kind of fun. Uh, during a conflict between Atlantis and the humans, she helps Captain America, the Human Torch, and Toro, who is Human Torch's boy sidekick, who has the same Flame Man powers as him. I do not remember why. I did not look it up for it. It's not important to this episode. He's a young boy with Flame Man powers. He might have gotten a blood transfusion as well. It kind of seems to be Jim Hammond's go-to move. <laughs> um, How'd you get your powers, blood transfusion? She, she helps them track down Namor. She's able to conclude that Namor is going to attack Roxxon, who, uh, and they in, arrive in time to intercept the attack, for reasons I don't understand, because Roxxon has been consistently evil in every single appearance ever. They're Exxon. They're the giant oil. They're bad. They're, yeah. they're if Exxon made supervillains. Which they do. If Exxon supervillains used more lasers. Okay. Uh, eventually that will happen. Uh, and then later on, she'll fight with the rest of the invaders to stop a man named Machan from drowning the world. Yeah, it's a plot to one of the Pokemon games. Machan is yet another angry Atlantean. Fair enough. This brings us to our final person. Victor Strange. Oh, Vic. <laughs> we'll get there. He should have stayed dead. Yep. <laughs> Victor Strange is born in Nebraska to Eugene and Beverly Strange, being the younger brother to both Donna and Stephen Strange. I forgot Donna existed. Me too. Yeah. I've never read anything with her. I don't. She's not brought up. Anyways. After, oh, that's why. 
after the deaths of Donna and their mother, <laughs> right? That's right. I wrote that down. <laughs> Stephen is unable to face any more tragedy and refuses to visit Eugene, his father's deathbed. A few days later, Victor, real pissed off at Stephen, uh, confronts him over his apparent lack of grief. Following a confrontation, Vic rushes out of the apartment and is immediately run over by a car. Victor dies, and a guilt-wracked Stephen places Victor's body in cryogenic sleep, hoping that future breakthroughs will revive him. Wait, so Vic just getting super dramatic and then just running has been his go-to move for a while now? Absolutely. He was born that way. I don't know if he was, like, straight off running or he's like, the heck with this! Bam! Like, I'm just kind of... Then blame Strange. Did you ever watch How High? Yeah. For some reason, I'm just imagining the scene where the guy blows up his, like, meth den or whatever it is, falls (laughs) out the window, and he's like, I'm alive! I can't feel my legs! I'm alive! And then gets hit by a bus. Mm -hmm. That's roughly what I'm imagining here, but with less meth dens. (laughs) In fact, zero meth dens. So far. (laughs) Some of the things Strange does look like meth dens, not gonna lie. Also, Steven's move... This shows how bored he was to be the Sorcerer Supreme, that before he even got magic, his immediate move was, my brother died, better stick him in cryogenic sleep, so maybe I can undie him later. He didn't even know magic existed at that point. He was going <laughs> to nope. freeze his body. I mean, literally, he was having a mental breakdown because within the space of a year, he lost literally every Everyone. member of his family in three separate instances. I don't know, yeah, that sucks. I, I don't know anyone else who'd put the... the dead body of a family member in their freezer. Anyways, when <laughs> when Stephen becomes a sorcerer... He's not for good reasons. Just midnight snacks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get hungry. God, we're just Jeffrey Dahmer up here. Uh, anyways, when Stephen becomes a sorcerer, he tries to use magic to revive his brother. He studies various books and ancient texts, including the Book of the Vashanti, but nothing seems to work. Unbeknown to him, he ended up unwittingly using the vampiric verse, transforming Victor into a vampire. We read this book. I'm just making sure I understood this right. He just started chanting magic spells at his brother's cryo tube. Yep. Not knowing what they did. He was like, how about this one? Mm, is he alive? Nope. How about I'll try the next one? He then? somehow managed to do the worst thing Stephen Strange has ever done. And we have been making fun of Stephen Strange's bad choices since the second episode of this podcast. This is a magic book that could do anything, and I that don't was two it. years ago. <laughs> That's exactly why I hate him. <laughs> years later, Victor's chamber fails, and he wakes up confused and amnesiac, uh-huh. being and the, vampiric and vampiric, being the first and yeah, the first being the only vampire alive, being that he was protected from the Montesai formula. Thanks to stuff. Frozen. Being frozen. He was in And the various unknown spells that Steven cast on him. (laughs) That's just like opening up a phone book and calling people, hoping (laughs) to find somebody. Like You you'd think he at least would have like used the frozen Walt Disney as a guinea pig. (laughs) No. I thought you meant the movie. I forgot about the theory that Walt Disney had himself cryogenically frozen. I hope he is. Anyways. Confused and amnesic, he wanders off and runs into Marie Laval, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, who we have discussed before and came up and thinks, I somehow had missed that she retains her youth by drinking vampire blood. 
which meant that the Montessori formula was a huge bummer for her, as she was quickly regaining her age. Man, that sucks. She summons Victor and tries to use him in her plans, but his rational side takes over, and he turns against her before escaping. His brother finds him, and he tries to help uh, Vic, but Laval shows up with a, and shoots him with the golden arrow of Eros to take control of him once more, and makes him steal the Darkhold. During this time, she inexplicably names him the new Baron Blood and dresses him up in the Baron Blood costume, despite no relation to the Baron Blood that I could find. Just being Zero. like, you know what would be fun? Dressing you up like a Nazi. I miss those. And just... <laughs> I doubt it. She's a black woman. I don't think she cares. <laughs> Just saying, she probably did not get along well with the Nazis. Oh, boy. Anyways, Vic is freed by Steven and Brother Voodoo and Morbius the Living Vampire and helps them fight the beast that uh, Marie Laveau released upon them. After this, Victor begins a relationship with Morgana Blessing, uh, Doctor Strange's really annoying neighbor-slash-love interest, who was also the annoying neighbor-slash-love interest of the Black Knight in a story we read way back when. Whoa. In the Black... Yeah, that's the same character. Uh, who would provide him with a regular supply of blood to quench his thirst while he tried to be a hero like his brother. Now, this is the part where I was reading it and it says Baron Blood returns during this time, and that's why he begins calling himself Chiron. Instead of the heroic Baron Blood. But it's, an, I, again, I don't know. I couldn't find this anywhere else. It's entirely possible that he just went, maybe I shouldn't name myself after a Nazi vampire. Weird. <laughs> I'll be Chiron, who I want to say is the guy that transports you across the... Yes, Charon. Charon. Spelled slightly different, but... Yeah, yeah. Chiron is the oh, centaur. No, oh, Okay. Uh, centaur. Either way, it's very Healer? strange family edgelord to name yourself after a Greek centaur. Who strange might know. Like, let's be real honest about this. I want to say he was like the doctor centaur. Oh. That could be right. Uh, and he begins hunting those he thinks are criminals, even if they're not committing crimes. Morgana tries to convince him that that's a bad idea and he'll end up killing innocent people, but Victor's craving more and more blood and leaves her. When Steven hears of this, he tracks Victor down, leading to a fight between the two that ends with Victor realizing he had almost killed an innocent man. Thinking, whoops, that was a bad idea, he stabs himself with a wooden stake, ending his life. Whoa. However, he later returns to life. It's unexplained how, it's entirely possible that it's just when Blade returned all vampires and we hadn't seen him until just recently. Fair enough. I mean, he did, that's, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. He's... That's chalk it up and another one that is completely Doctor Strange's fault in the thousands that we've come across. <laughs> I want to argue you, but yeah, I will say the first time I found out about him and was like reading a Doctor Strange issue that connected to the Infinity Gauntlet saga. And then he's like having a Christmas party and Baron Blood is there. And I was like, excuse me. Wait a minute. Doc. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my brother's so happy. And you're like, Doctor. what now? <laughs> Doc? And that does not come up in that issue, any explanation. Just like Baron Blood's at his Christmas party, and then Adam Warlock shows up and, like, kidnaps Doctor Strange. Anyways, that's the Baron's blood. And Victor. And Victor. And Victor. <laughs> um, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss our readings. Okay, so... For our readings, we read 
two books. We read uh, uh, Captain America. It's like 250 and 251 or something like that. It's the Baron Blood story where he stabs him through. And 253, 254? That's it. And the Vampiric Vor- Versus, a seven-part storyline uh, involving the rise of Victor Strange as the new Baron Blood. Now, I want to talk about the Doc Strange one first, mm-hmm. partly because I did not like it. And I want to save that thing I really liked afterwards. Yeah, it was not good. Here's the part that kills me, and I mentioned this before we started recording. This was written by Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas is one of the greatest comic book writers in history. He was Stan Lee's right-hand man, and every book got better when Roy Thomas wrote it after Stan Lee got bored and left. Stan Lee's a great ideas guy, but he's very Gene Roddenberry in that respect. So I'm so mad that the very first Roy Thomas book we've read in the history of uh, New Byland is the worst Roy Thomas I have ever read. As I mentioned to Mac, and I think you said you read some of it, the immediate following after story (laughs) is significantly better. Immediately. (laughs) Within the first few panels, I'm like, wow, this is, (laughs) this is light years better. (laughs) Part of the problem is they went through like five artists. I think it was like three artists in a seven part storyline. And I don't have a problem with a rotating cast of artists on a book but you generally don't want to do it mid-storyline if you can help it. There have been plenty of books that are putting out more issues a month than a single story writer or artist can keep up on, or not a month, but a year. But what you do is you plan far in advance and have, like, artist A writes this storyline, or draws this storyline. Artist B draws the next one, while artist A is drawing the third one, and then, like, Mm -hmm. hop, skip over each other. I don't remember which name it was. I did look, because I was looking at the various artists of this. Some of those artists will act in this Vampiric Versus will go on to become pretty solid artists. They just weren't there yet in this book. Yeah. I still think Witches was worse, but Witches was more fun to read. (laughs) And for the wrong reasons. (laughs) Yes. Now... This book is, like, in some ways, this book was good to read because when it comes to vampire stories, this is an extremely important story. Bringing in Varney for the first time, and we've heard Varney mentioned a couple of times now. Bringing back vampires. Establishing a friendship for some reason between uh, Michael Morbius and Strange that will come up, I guess, a bit later on when uh, the Midnight Suns thing happens. Clay almost kills him. Within the first three seconds of seeing him. You go, girl. I know. Also, he's just as more... Well, both. Everyone. But Morbius is just as whiny as he's always been. Yeah. Terrible look for Morbius. Oh, yeah. That late 80s, early 90s where they got rid of his classic costume and just gave him, like, forgettable black leather and then just gave him, like... No nose. The pointy white man's (laughs) afro look he had going on Mm -hmm. of, like, you know, like, shock rock kind of stuff. I haven't sat with this story long enough to to decide where it's not good to me yet. But here's my experience with it. When Mac came over today, I was still reading to it. I explained it to him. I'm like, well, I made the mistake of, like, laying down when I tried to read it earlier. <laughs> and you just straight up fell asleep. <laughs> like, I was blaming myself. I was like, you know, I I knew I was tired and I shouldn't have done that. And, like... I started reading it, and then I looked at the clock, and suddenly 15 minutes had passed, and I was like, oh, no, I'm still running out of time. 
And then as I was sitting there out in the front room with him, continuing to read it to finish it up before we started the episode today, like I I was having to read certain panels like multiple times, even though there was already a lot of text, which was just, I don't, I got to the end of the third issue and I thought I had already went through five of them, and I was like really mad for a second that it was taking this long. And why is it taking this long? And why is this a five parter and not a three parter? Like, and then you're like, oh no, it's a seven parter. Um, no, it's five. Oh, is it five? It's okay. Five. Now, yeah, as I was reading this a couple of weeks ago to to make sure that like this was the right stuff for this, I was definitely like, and I'd already picked it for us, announced it, yada yada yada. I went. Oh, I'm going to owe those boys an apology. Like, oh, I messed up. And I wanted to do it because it was the first introduction of Vic as Baron Blood. And I was desperately hoping that it would vaguely explain why he's being dressed up as Baron Blood. It doesn't. Not even a little bit. No. And I think that's part of my problem with it of Roy... Thomas had several character or had several beats that he wanted to happen. And there are actually some decent beats in this book. And he had an end goal that he wanted. He wanted Morgana blessing taken off of the, uh, this is my theory, at least mm-hmm. off of the table as a romantic rival for Clea. Cause it was not interesting. And it was Morgana was becoming a significantly worse character every time she appeared. And he wanted Victor Strange back, or I guess existing, because I don't think he existed before this Doctor Strange series. I don't think he ever came up. Mm-hmm. And he wanted him as a vampire. Don't know why you want him as Baron Blood. I'm betting he just liked the costume. That's a very Roy. Also, I think Roy Thomas created the original Baron Blood oh, in okay. The Invaders. So he might have just wanted to keep using some of the stuff. Why in this way? Who knows? Side note, Roy Thomas created the Vision. He uh, brought Black Panther into the Avengers. He created the Kree Scroll War. He is like, oh, he brought Conan the Barbarian to Marvel, which is what made Conan what we know him as today, as opposed mm-hmm. to like, we're nerds like him to international sensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I again, I cannot speak up Roy Thomas enough, even though like, he just didn't know what he was doing here. He just, all right, we're going to do this. Why? Yeah. And I think that's the problem. There's no real flow to this. There's no strange is suddenly obsessed with his brother, which I get his brother turned into a vampire and is alive again. That's a lot to take in. But strange's entire personality is just like, must protect Victor. Anything else going on? Not really protect Victor. <laughs> Fact that he's a vampire problem. No, <laughs> uh, the, you know, Morbius is Morbius and, we did a whole episode on why I hate him, so we can just kind of ignore that. The things that I did like, I'm already blanking his name, but I will never tire of Doctor Strange's Green Minotaur Apprentice Man. Oh, Rintra. Rintra. Love Rintra. And I thought this was actually a decent brother voodoo story in a badly written Doctor Strange story. Yeah, he was actually... The, he was the my favorite part of this book. Yeah. So I, when we were going through these, I realized that I had actually... Um, flipped through these issues before because when we did the Brother Voodoo episode, mm-hmm. I did extra reading and went through and found those, the the Voodoo stories mm. that are at the end. Okay. And I had read through all of those before. Yeah, that was fine. The yeah. like origin of Brother Voodoo stuff was decent. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I, 
it was Len Wein that created Brother Voodoo, I think we said? Yes, yes, yes. I think Thomas was one of the ones that was like, no, we we need to use this character. People knew for years that Brother Voodoo had legs that we weren't giving to him until the early 2000s when they were like, we need more black characters. This group is white as hell. <laughs> and started bringing in mm-hmm. Brother Voodoo more. I don't have much. It's just not good, but not like funny bad. No. This Doctor Strange is literally the embodiment of everything I don't like about Doctor Strange. <laughs> like, every piece I'd point out, like, this is why he has the ability to be a good character with the modern stuff. Because the modern Doctor Strange is really good. I'll even argue for the older Roger Stern stuff from before this that we've read bits of. Some of that's also good. But this Doctor Strange is literally everything that I don't like about him to a T. <laughs> going to bring this up doesn't come up much because the character of Sarah is not a major part of this. The coloring of Native American color or characters in early 90s comics before the upgrade of uh, coloring techniques in with the image years is so painfully bad. It's jarring. I mean, they are just like bright sunburn red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bad. But I I just got done reading this like an hour and a half ago, and I'm still already blanking on it because it was not good. I liked Morbius <laughs> so little in this <laughs> that I, when he went through his origin story again, I literally skimmed through those pages like I don't I do not care. Like, don't care. Don't care. <laughs> and I got to the point where he was talking about something new. I was like, okay, this is where I start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, literally the two things that stick out are both Morbius moments, which I hate. But it's Morbius making jokes about the three doctors going off to fight vampires I kind of enjoyed. And then at the end when he uh, Strange is like, Goodbye, Michael, and he's like, Oh, so we're on a first Oh, so we're on a first name basis now. It did come up with another That's the closest you've ever been to having a personality, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part is when the Queen of of Voodoo, Marie Laval. Marie Laval. Who is a real person. Yes. Uh summons I thought it was really funny that she was such a big part of these stories when uh, I was listening to a ton of Redbone this week, who has a... Nice. Oh, God, what's the name of the song? Is it the... I have no idea. Uh, I, it's something... The Witch Queen of New Orleans. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, you've mentioned it before. Yeah. But I liked it when she summoned Stephen's brother, and he's like, ah! She's like, you're dead, you can't feel the cold. And it shoots him with a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> It was awesome. That's the best part of the entire comic. Oh, I remember the other thing I noticed during this thing, because I even turned to you, Mac, and I was just like, every Marvel vampire is so dramatic. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, they're the most extra vampires in the history of vampires. (laughs) Like, every... They're all just, like, teenagers. Yes. Every revelation rocks them to their core. Part of that is Roy Thomas writing, but I, it's not just because, I mean, every vampire, they just, they've got nothing going on. They just have to, to act where they can, I guess. Big swooping theatric <laughs> movements. <laughs> the moment you put on the Baron Blood costume, you're like hunched. Like, I wonder if it's just like improperly sized, so you have to hunch over to fit into it. Like, it's like shrink wrapped leather. He hunched a guy to death. Every uh, every other exclamation, they might as well be putting the back of their hand to their forehead. They do oh, a couple of times. I, <laughs> I do, I will say, I did feel kind of bad for Morbius, even though I agree with you, this is the worst Morbius we've ever read. He was just living his life. <laughs> he was just vibing. He was just done. 
he was no longer a living vampire. He was now just a living dude with no nose. Mm-hmm. That was fine. Went to a bar, hooked up with the wrong Met lady. a cute girl. Bam. He's a living vampire again, and he's been tortured for the past six weeks. Like, this is one of the few times where he's pissed off about his lot in life. And I'm like, yeah, I get, I it. get it, dude. Like, this one was not on you. But then he says things like, I'm not even good enough to be a real vampire. I'm like, shut up. Yes, no. Everything else about his personality is on him. This specific instance. Yeah. We get it, Morbius. Stop talking. <laughs> Please stop talking. Luckily, we only have a few more places where Morbius will appear, and I think only one where he'll appear in any real amount. Mm. I say that. I'm sure he'll appear in other stories, but, like, we got one vampire. Th- well, no, we still have that stupid movie we're going to have to watch soon. Yeah. Um. Okay, so <laughs> let's jump over, unless you guys have anything else about the vampiric verses. No. no. Literally, I think it was like, I want vampires back. Let's find a way to make it work and just muscled his way through the writing. Let's jump over to the earlier story that was written about 12 years earlier. And like, I think it's this first one was either in 80 or 81 by Roger Stern, who we have now read. This is our third Roger Stern story mm-hmm. and our first John Byrne story. Uh, John Byrne. Oh, God, um, I'm not a big John Byrne fan, but there's no getting around how important he is. Let's see. He uh, helped create Iron Fist. He helped create Sabretooth. He was the illustrator on the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past for the X-Men, the two most famous X-Men stories of all time. He reinvented Superman in the Man of Steel series, which is not a big Burn fan, but a pretty good thing. He was the initial scripter for all or for the early Hellboy stories. Mignola came up with the basic uh, plot and the artwork, but Byrne wrote the actual like lines that we read and has been involved in a lot of stuff. Huge X-Men and... Fa- oh, uh, possibly the most famous Fantastic Four run of all time. He created... He basically created the She-Hulk we know today as the like actually fun breaking the fourth wall character and uh, is such a jerk that he has been largely reduced to creating Star Trek Fumetti's. Oh. Fumetti being a Italian comic term where you take photos and use those for your panels. And so for a while he was making Star Trek comics using screenshots from the original series and assembling them together to make his own plots. Okay. Interesting. He's a great comic book creator, but he's openly said that Marvel should erase everything that happened post-1973 after he stopped reading comics as a fan, and that's when I stopped paying attention. (laughs) Also, this run, this Captain America run, which was only about eight issues long, partially fell apart because John Byrne is just extremely difficult to work with. That makes sense. I can't say this is the best Captain America run of all time because it's only eight issues long and they were just finding their footing still, but it's one of my favorites. It's, it's fine. It's way more enjoyable than our other reading. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and I mean just like the whole... I mean, mm-hmm. we read two, two, two issues. issues here, but Mac and I read the whole... It's called mm-hmm. War and Remembrance. It's, it's really the first good. time they ever bring up Captain America possibly running for presidents. Uh, he fights Scott Mr. Hyde. He fights the Machine Smith for the first time, who's a B-level Cap villain. He beats a Batrock Zalipa. And <laughs> yeah, I'm always Batroc. happy when Batrock shows up. <laughs> I'm also eternally amused that Marvel tried to make him actually like 
grim and scary. And I'm like, no, you give him his stupid mustache. You give him his terrible Right, uh, they just got accent. GSP to play him. And There's a recent cat, Black Cat series where she goes on a date and sleeps with Batrock. And it turns out he's actually a lot of fun when he's not just hamming it up because, so no one will take him seriously. He <laughs> when, just, he's, when he's not Kite Man? Yeah, no. <laughs> He's actually a re- very capable, like, mercenary and thief. He just knows that if he plays up the thing, I mean, he's already super extra. Do not get me wrong. But if he plays up the thing, he can have his quasi-romantic relationship with Cap because he straight up has a crush on Captain America in a non-sexual way. We are <laughs> not talking about Batrock. I am just excited. Um it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, your relationship with Spider-Man, I understand. Captain America. Um, uh, it was only two issues, so there's not a lot to it. But Which is why I added the Vampiric Verses, and that's where I messed up. It was um, <laughs> more, more interesting, more enjoyable to get through. I gotta learn that there was a superhero called The Face. That was part of the original <laughs> team with Captain America during the World War. There's been a couple of heroes named The Face. There was one named Scary Face. <laughs> um, uh, apparently the one, I did some research while we were waiting to start, and I think this is the one where he was a radio announcer, and he found a scary mess. He's like, hey, I can fight crime. Yeah. And that's yep, that scary does, face or the face or Mr. Face. He's apparently various a, versions have existed over the years. Expert marksman, swordsman, and the hand-to-hand combat guy. And I was like, and then he just found an enchanted mask. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes it's not even enchanted. Sometimes it's just a mask. <laughs> and apparently now he doesn't even wear it when he fights crime. He just fights crime. <laughs> <laughs> like you're expecting what face? A this dollar? Face? My uh, face? A dollar a page. I really need to reinforce that for Golden Age characters. You're going to be scared of this face when I'm done. Yeah. Also, the mob controlled the printing of comic books in the Golden Age of comics. Because, I mean, literally, they controlled the printing presses. Mm -hmm. So they were just like, we don't care. Just make them. They sell. Good for the mob, I guess. This one was fun. I got to watch Cap have a, a mental moment after decapitating a vampire with the shield where he's like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I need a second. Yeah. That, like, four-page spread that goes from him tearing the uh, window shades off and the light coming in and then decapitating and then having that moment of wandering off is such a good example of, like, the the storytelling medium of the comics because very few words are actually said in that, mm-hmm. and like the 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 page where he decapitates Baron Blood, no words are said, but so much emotion is transferred, and like three panels is just Cap's face going through very minimal changes in facial expression, but. The, the facial expression they do change and the use of three whole panels, especially in an 80, early 80s comic book, it, it shows the level of uh, uh, anguish that Cap is having to go through for this. I mean, Cap didn't even really kill Nazis that much. Mm-hmm. Like, Cap's not a I don't kill, but there's a difference between like, I was in World War II and death happened and I am decapitating this man with the symbol of the American dream. <laughs> How apt. But <laughs> he even like the the panel afterwards he describes as it's not a clean victory, like he that's not something he enjoys doing. There's no justice. It's just he's the executioner now, mm-hmm. which is 
very, for, I do not know a lot about Captain America, but the little I know, that's very mm. counter to what he is. Well, and this is during a period of time, one, they were trying to t- tap into the popularity of Spider-Man, but they decided to have Cap have a private life <laughs> and attempt to make a living as an artist, which had always been like something Cap had been into. He's a cutie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bernie was into it. The romantic interest mm-hmm. of this one. Yep. But so this is Cap attempting to like just be a dude for the first time in his life since 1945. So, which is less time for him than most people, but still. Just a guy that like, prefers big band rock music. Oh, God. Yeah. Humphrey Bogart films. I do like how hard they're trying to like, no, I'm just an old dude. But young, it's fine. Don't ask questions. <laughs> the people I worked with are like 90-something, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I have no recent references. It's cool. I also like uh, <laughs> when he's talking to the inspector. He's like, this isn't a man's body. He's just fully open the entire time of the inspector. He's like, yeah, vampires exist. This is like... This is what's going on. Like, any other superhero wouldn't tell them anything. He's like, this isn't the body, and they'd leave. Just yeah. to go find what's going on. He's like, no, this is what I'm going to do, and if you need help, just call me. Here's vampires, here's this, here's, okay, here's my number. It is the thing I love about Cap. There's a, a issue of the Avengers where these people, because the Avengers are paid for by the Maria Stark Foundation. It, it, it's a, a, a whole thing. But every once in a while, auditors show up being like, explain your work. And every Avenger is a pain in the to get answers out of. They'll either like Thor being like, yes. And then I threw a building at him. He needed to be stopped. (laughs) And I stopped him. Or like pretending that, you know, the beast wasn't just flying loop-de-loops in the Quinjet to be fun. (laughs) Or a U.S. agent threatening them for getting in his way, being like, don't try and stop me. I have no time for pencil pushers. (laughs) And then Cap's like, and I filled out these requisite forms and here's this. And it's signed in triplicate. And like... (laughs) (laughs) They're like, thank you. How's your kids? Good to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be a good president. I forgot, because I haven't read this story in several years. This is probably my favorite vampire story in Marvel. The Tomb of Dracula book we've read, we read may have topped it. Mm -hmm. I forgot how short this book was. I knew it was only like two issues, but there's a thing that happens with comics, particularly ones that I read when I was younger. And it's one of the things I love about the medium that... You let it, like, sit in your mind, and the the length of what's happening expands. Sure, it's only four panels, but my brain remembers, like, a whole fight happening. Yeah. I don't have much more to that other than, that. I mean, literally, it's one of my favorite things about comics. Like, oh, hey, this, like, big epic of Baron... Oh, no, that was... I feel the same that way. That was 40 pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel the same way about some of the stuff we started reading at the beginning of this podcast, especially with Mother and some of the stuff where she, like, would erase panels and stuff. Oh, right. And, like, oh, in my head, In my head, there's so much more that happened. When I went back, like, a couple weeks ago to relook at that, I was like, this is a lot. This is a lot shorter than I remember it being. I remember, I remember it a lot more mm-hmm. happening. But, no, it's just because, like, just remembering and imagining what had happened when I read it. It has nothing to do with this, but how did that book hold up? Because when you first read it at the time, you were kind of lukewarm on that book. I like it a lot. It's gotten, it's gotten better. Now that I've, I've read more I'm, comics. I was wondering if that was going to be one of the things. We will be in some of the Loki stuff reading 
either immediately before or immediately after that story. So, Thank you. kid Loki or slightly teenage Loki. Um, anyways, yeah. I don't know. I don't have too much more about this reading. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that stood out to me is the thing we've brought up a few times already, which was the cat beheading Baron Blood. So It really, like, just find that page if you've never read it. Even if you don't read these issues, just that one page is an extremely well done page. Yeah. Um. Next time we will be doing, we will be finishing up the book section of the vampires with the other vampires. We will be reading uh, Avengers thirteen through seventeen of the most recent Avengers series by Jason Aaron and David Marquez. Who Jason? The this Jason Aaron Avengers. I think this is the third or fourth time we've used from this book. It's for such a controversial Avenger series. It's very useful. We will also be reading giant sized chillers featuring the curse of Dracula. Number one. I'm excited. Heck yeah. Well, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the Island, the nightly game of Parcheesi starts soon. Uh, for everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.